Welcome to the Sacred Emergence Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Wong, and I'm so thrilled that you're here. This is a place where you'll be guided to living your most aligned life so that your truest, most radiant self can emerge. We'll be jamming on topics ranging from spirituality, entrepreneurship, to wellness and lifestyle design, and everything in between that can support you to grow, evolve, and shine, all the while not taking ourselves too seriously. So if you're ready to step into your leadership, break through limiting beliefs, own all of who you are, and expand in abundance, grab yourself your faith cup of tea, and let's dive in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Sacred Emergence. We are into 2020. Happy New Year. And this is the start of season two. And I have such a special treat for you. With us today for our interview is licensed acupuncturist, herbalist, and functional medicine practitioner, Lori Early. And I'm so excited you're here, Lori. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited too. Yeah. And so um, you and I actually connected through an online group that we were part of uh, with um, Lola Archer Pickett. And uh, it's just been so fun to continue connecting with you and seeing you online. Um, And it's just been so fun seeing your journey, actually, especially like with with, uh, health and just all like the transformation. And so I'm really excited to dive in. Yeah, definitely. It's been, it's been, a lot of changes since 2017 for sure. Yeah. And so, um, I know that you live in, you live in Texas and you're you're Austin and and Houston and Houston. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have like, um, your practice with, I just remembered your, with your acupuncturist, uh, your acupuncture practice. It was Mm -hmm more esoteric. Is that right? Yeah. So back then I was focusing a lot more on the spiritual aspects of healing. And so I was working a lot with emotional health and spiritual work. And I was offering um, esoteric acupuncture, which is a more specialized form of acupuncture where we integrate sacred geometry and um, chakra healing with acupuncture. So I, I still do that, but I think because of my most recent health conditions. I've been focusing more on the functional medicine perspective, but I still offer the esoteric. And um, yeah, my practice is in Houston, but I live, I go back and forth between Houston and Austin, but my actual clinic is in the heart of Houston and it's called Phoenix Rising Acupuncture. Nice. Yeah, we'll definitely share the link uh, for anyone who's like in the area for sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so I'm so curious because, um, well, we can, we're going to talk about so many things, especially with like just your journey with like having breast implants and then removing it. And for me, just seeing like your health, like just, it was like a light switch, Mm -hmm. like flip of the switch, I should say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess go back to 2016, I started dating my current boyfriend, who's also an acupuncturist in Austin. And I've been dealing with some health issues. I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's in 2008, right after the birth of my oldest daughter. And at that time, I was just given a prescription and said that this is a chronic illness and to come back every six months, get my blood work and then just take this medication and we'll and and the doctor will modify it as needed as you know time goes on so 
I never really changed anything. I never changed my diet. I never changed my sleep habits. And fast forward, you know, eight, nine years, I'm, my health issues are getting worse and worse, um, regardless of modified diet and acupuncture and herbs. So those acupuncture and herbs were helping a lot, but not to the extent that I felt they could have or should have. Mm -hmm. And so my boyfriend was like, you know, maybe your implants are really affecting your health. Mm -hmm. And it was something that I hadn't really considered, even though I deal with holistic medicine on a daily basis. It, it had just been a part of me for so long. I ended up having my implants for about 19 years. I had them put in when I was 21. And then this year, like two months ago at the age of 40, I had them taken out. So what I found was two things. One, that there is such thing called breast implant illness and so many women suffer from it and they don't know that they don't, they aren't made aware of the impact that the implants have on their bodies. And number two, because I am a functional medicine practitioner and I wasn't quite getting a full picture of what was going on because I felt like the implants had something to do with my health, but I didn't know if it was all of it. I went ahead and ran my own lab work to get a baseline to see what, what I looked like from a biological or physiological perspective before the explant surgery. And then I want to run them three to six months out from the surgery to see what's changed. And what came back really shocked me because I found out that I also have celiac disease. Mm. And so thinking back, I was like, okay, well, celiac, it's hardly ever, um, there's, there's about 60% of patients who actually have celiac that is known as a silent, silent form. So it doesn't manifest as your typical digestive issues and symptoms like that. But what it does is there's two other forms. There's one that affects your skin and can cause like eczema, atopic dermatitis, things like that. And then there's a second form, a second silent form that affects your neurological um, development and behavior. And I had both of the silent types. So oh. what that means is if I would have gone to a doctor, an MD, and been tested for celiac, I would have come back negative. But because I ran the tests um, that I've, I've learned how to run and looking at it from a more broad perspective, I found out that I have the two atypical types. And it makes sense because about two years ago, I started having a rash all over my body and it started around where my implants were. Mm. And so that's why I was like, well, maybe it is the implants. Mm -hmm. um, and then ever since I was about 15, I, I was diagnosed with chronic depression, mm. um, clinical depression, and it was chronic. And I was one of those patients that had been prescribed every antidepressant and I just, it just never worked for me. And now I know that it was never an issue with my serotonin levels. It was an actual, it was actually an autoimmune issue because I never, I never correlated eating wheat or grains with a chronic brain inflammation that was causing depression and mood, 
mood disorders. So, yeah. So a lot of like aha moments that are so enlightening, just not only for my own health, but now working with patients. Mm -hmm. So in October, I did decide to go ahead and move forward with the explant surgery. And um, I've learned a lot about proper explant versus improper explants. Um, I learned that when you haven't, when you have any sort of implant, regardless of if, if it's, um, you know, the breast implants, which are probably the most common, but anything that is a foreign agent that's surgically placed into your body, then our body creates um, scar tissue around it to kind of protect the rest of our systems, right? And the problem with breast implants and a lot of other implants too, is that the, the sacs themselves are laced with hundreds of chemicals and toxicants and heavy metals. And so over time, these substances are slowly leached into our bloodstream mm-hmm. and into our lymphatics. And so it's one of those things where it just continues to create toxic levels over time that build up to the point where your body eventually starts to have some pretty significant reaction to them. So from my perspective and what I've learned is there are no safe implants and it's not a matter of if you're going to be affected, it's a matter of when. Um, I've also learned that I don't think that for most women that they are the sole culprit for all of their health issues. Um, I do believe that they are a culprit, a portion of the culprit for women's health issues though. So I think that when you have them removed and you have them removed correctly and safely, then it's going to tremendously take a load off of your body that's in constant inflammatory mode and fight mode. Yeah. I mean, that's like that. I mean, it makes sense, right? As you talk about it like that. Yeah. And of course, because it is like this external foreign thing that we're like, people are putting in their bodies. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious, like, because when you got yours and it was like years, it was like almost like 20 years ago, yeah. right? Like, did they talk about possible side effects? Never. Or? Oh my Never. God. Um, my only concern was I was, I think I was 21 when I had them put in and I was thinking, well, I'm eventually going to have kids and I wanted to know if they were safe for breastfeeding. And he said, yes. And he said, just come back and check in in 10 years and we'll replace them. I did go in after the birth of my oldest daughter and before the birth of my youngest. So in that four year span, I went to go check on them. And he said they look great and just to keep them in. So a lot of women have their implants in up to 35, 40 years. And, um, and it, it's, you know, causing a lot of health issues. Um, a lot of misconception too is that saline is safer than silicone. And my assumption was that silicone was a higher risk of causing health issues because if it leaked, then the silicone was more harmful to your body than the saline. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that's true. However, there 
both harmful in different ways. Um, like I said, regardless of what the sacs themselves are made out of, those have toxins that are leached into your system. Um, but the silicone, those, when you look at surgeries of plastic surgeons who are removing them, what you'll notice that there's oftentimes like this glue that, that sticks to it's the remaining tissue. And so it's really hard to get all of that out because it leaches that silicone and it's really sticky. Mm -hmm. um, with saline implants, they're more prone to growing mold in them. Interesting. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so because for whatever reason, the valves um, can, can, get messed up and allow mold to get in mm. while they're inside of you. So, um, yeah, I, it all makes sense when, when you talk about it, but I, I don't know if I just had a block up or I just didn't want to listen to it for a few years, but I'm just grateful that my partner mentioned it and he gently persisted mm. and, um, you know, I was like, you know, I'm 41 now, so it's not like I'm like gallivanting on the beach in a bikini all the time. So I think I'll be okay with going back to my natural self. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, well, in terms of like just how you felt afterwards, because I can see mm -hmm. like the difference, but for you, yeah. like what was, and for me, it was almost like I was like, just because you showed a before and after photo. Yeah. I, I was like, oh my goodness. So what yeah. was it like for you? So, well, immediately I've lost, because I've had the surgery now less than 12 weeks ago, and I've already lost maybe seven pounds, which is a lot because I only started out at 110. So mm -hmm. that's a lot for my small frame. Um, and. I don't have to wear as much makeup. My, the wrinkles like in my forehead and here have really softened up. Yeah. Also my bags aren't as bad. I mean, I didn't sleep very well last night. Um, my boyfriend got a new mattress that I'm not happy about. So I slept on the couch, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I don't have to wear as much makeup and I feel like I, I look younger. I feel younger my skin has changed considerably, like not only the skin on my face, but all over, it's just so much softer. My hormones have started to regulate. Um, I feel like everything is just calming down because before I was in chron chronic and constant inflammation without really knowing what it was, but mm -hmm. I was much puffier than, um, than I am now. <laughs> so you can definitely tell that difference in the pictures. Yeah. I could see even like a brightness to your face. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, Oh my gosh, that's incredible. And, um, and just like how, what you were sharing over, you know, on Facebook and stuff, just like your own, like what you were sharing in your story. Yeah. Yeah. So that is so cool that like, I'm so glad that you like you made the decision to cause mm -hmm. even the before and the after and then how like, um, I'm assuming like 
for you, like for the functional medicine work that you're doing? Like did that, did that feed into it in a way or? So it has fed into it just because now I'm aware because there's a good percentage of my patients. I mean, I already treat 90% of my patients are women. So I mostly see women. And then of those women, there's a good percentage of patients who do have breast implants and since I specialize in autoimmune and chronic disease, then I know that those implants are not helping anything. Mm-hmm. And so I'm able to talk to them not only as a practitioner patient, but also as someone who has been through the journey and I faced all of the physical, emotional fears that anyone is going to face by moving forward with that surgery. Right. Yeah. So um, I think it's just brought more awareness to me. And then a lot of the patients have, they just have good questions, you know, like, but it's, it's interesting. A lot of women, they just don't want to let go. And I know that it could really, really benefit their health if they, if they could. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, um, in the beginning, you were talking about just like gluten, like since celiac. So, has mm-hmm. that affected like with the removal? Has that calmed that down? Or, well, all the celiac has done is make me realize where really all of my health issues have stemmed from because celiac leads to depression and it leads to thyroid dysfunction as well because there's when you eat gluten, it also attacks the thyroid, regardless of whether you have celiac or not. But because I do have celiac, yeah. So, but because I do have celiac, my body creates um, a stronger inflammatory response. And then, so it kind of all goes into hand in hand. So whenever I see my patients who have thyroid issues, now I'm just it's not an 80 20 thing where you have to cut down your gluten. It's not, I'm 90% gluten free. You have to be 100% gluten free because even one like instance of ingesting gluten can last up to six months as far as an attack on the thyroid. Oh. Yeah. So I'm like, this is not a, I'm pretty much gluten-free. This is a, you have to be. If you want to heal your thyroid and not allow it to, um, you know, keep degrading, then it's a must. Oh my gosh. So like, I have like a really small area on like my skin. Like it's like a little psoriasis thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've been I've been on and off with gluten, right? So I actually saw your post. You talked about how like gluten stays in your system for six months. And I was like, yes. "Uh." Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, oh, crap. So yeah, I'm committed again to doing. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's made me just really dive into not only celiac because that's still a small percentage of patients. Um, or the population, but also uh, gluten intolerance, where if you actually look at the research, every single person is gluten intolerant because of the way in which gluten is really. Mm. Um, and so it, 
it's just a, it's too inflammatory of a substance to ingest it. That's crazy. So I'm just getting a little bit harder on my patients about it, you know, whether they're fertility patients or, you know, autoimmune or what. It's like, that's my number one. If you, if you're going to do anything, cut that out because you'll see significant changes and it's directly linked to mood, skin, you know, further degradation of the gut lining, which leads to autoimmune diseases and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I, you were talking about, oh, doing the test for a gluten, how there's yeah. like the two silent. Yeah. So our regular, like, cause I've done different blood tests to see if I'm uh, intolerant to different foods. And so I've done both of them. I've done different ones, mm-hmm. but the, the two that have come back are always like, yeah, gluten. And I'm yeah. Tolerant. But yeah. like, I didn't know what you were saying about the two silent things. Yeah. So the test that I run, it's pretty inclusive. It includes um, the gut permeability. So it looks at how weak your digestive system is basically, or to determine whether or not, and to what severity you may have leaky gut. Um, and then it looks at the transglutamase, the three transglutamase um, markers, and it's two, three, and six. And I think if I remember offhand, two is the typical celiac, three is the skin, and six is the neurological dysfunction. So the three and the six are kind of the silent markers. And then it also looks at dozens of proteins within the wheat, so the gliadin and all these other ones. So I do have, I have most of my patients that are not celiac, so they are not positive for the transglutamase 2, 3, or 6 markers, but they do have to some degree an intolerance or um, an allergy to portions of the wheat protein. So if you, can you ever have wheat then? (laughs) Um, I'm going to say, (laughs) I'm going to say not in the U S or whatever. Yeah. Because it's just so incredibly laced with, um, the glyphosate, um, which is the roundup. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's been shown to gluten itself has been shown to damage the gut. And we know now how important gut health is, um, especially when dealing with chronic illness Mm -hmm. and how there's just a direct link with diabetes, fertility, hormonal dysfunction, autoimmune diseases, depression, mood disorders. And so I don't think it's worth it. I do hear, and I think that it's possible and plausible that if you go to Europe or somewhere that prohibits the the use of pesticides or um, they grow it differently, then I know that some people are okay with that. Yeah, or even like once in a while with it. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's how my patients are. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah. I mean, it's just not worth it. Yeah. When When you start feeling better, I think it's... When people, it's like that motivation you feel if somebody sets out to lose weight, it's kind of hard at first, but then once the pounds start dropping and they start to feel better, Mm -hmm. then they become more motivated. And I think that that's how it is with 
letting go of certain foods that your body just can't tolerate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're talking about the inflammation and even like that can add more weight and more stress to the system. Yeah. 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 Um, Going back to just like um, the removal or the explant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Like for you, when you were like just going, I hope it's okay if I ask. Uh (laughs) Um, Were you like, I don't know, did you have any like, fears around like how you would feel around your body after that like the body image I mean you were saying like well I'm 40 it doesn't matter like I'm yeah. just curious yeah so yes I did there was a part of me where I there was about maybe three or four weeks before my surgery where I just got really angry at my boyfriend and I kind of blamed it on him like because I didn't want to because I loved the way that my body looked um when I had my implants, I was 21. I was about 95 pounds and I had like an A, maybe an A, you know? Um, Are you talking about bra size or my bra size? Okay. Yeah. And then when I went to the surgeon, I, I loved that he did everything based on my proportions. So he only made me a large B, small C. Mm. So everything was like, proportionate. And I was, I didn't want it to be anything where people knew I had implants. In fact, most people didn't even know I had implants. They were like, Oh my gosh, I didn't know you even had implants. And now you're talking about your explant surgery. So there was a part of me that I was very angry about having to let that go. Um, because I was like, what if I have them taken out and nothing changes and my health doesn't change. Now I'm going to have these scars and I don't know what they're going to look like because you see, you know, women who don't look so great. And then you have women that look great. And I didn't know it's kind of a toss up. You don't know how your body's going to heal. So there was a lot of fear and anger surrounding it. And then there was also a part of me where I'm like, okay, well he's cool with it, but who says that we're forever Mm. you know you think that you're going to be in a relationship with somebody forever but forever doesn't always exist so it's like what about if if I'm with somebody else like how are they going to view that so there was a lot of emotional stuff that I had to go through and just be like fuck it I know that this is what's best for my health and it can only help it can't hurt Mm -hmm. So it was a risk, but I'm grateful that I did it and I feel better and I feel lighter and, um, I can, I, it just feels better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the healing was so easy because, um, you know, I went into it knowing how to treat myself after surgery. Yeah. I mean, I would assume like you probably did acupuncture (laughs) afterwards just to kind of Often the oh, um, I haven't done acup. I didn't do acupuncture right after. I did. I did take herbs because I took pain meds for like four or five days, and pain meds are notorious for you know stopping your digestive system. So I never had any issues with that because I took some herbs for that. Um, and then I did some lymphatic massage just to make sure that things were continuing to move, and it was really gentle. Um, and then whenever I think after a month he 
he said that the plastic surgeon said that I could start cupping. And so I've been using um, the breast oil from Wild Grace. Oh yeah, I have that. Yeah. Oh, awesome. I've been using that and then I use the soft silicone cups and I just massage cup that scar tissue. Oh, cool. To kind of help loosen and break up the, the scar tissue. That's so cool. Yeah. And so like, I just feel like with like your work, it's almost, I love that you've added and you've expanded to like the functional medicine piece and away from like, I think the esoteric is really cool, but like with the functional, it makes it very tangible. Yes. Um, and so I just feel like it's, it's, it really is holistic. Like I so appreciate your work. Yeah. And I feel I feel like it's needed. I live in, or I work in Houston and it's still a very conservative area that's in the box. And it's, there might be a very small percentage of the population who, who's, who's ready for esoteric acupuncture, meaning they're, they're living a life that um, is clean in all areas. You know, they're eating clean, they're thinking clean, they're acting in a good, clean way. It's like, that's when esoteric really thrives. Mm. Um, but sometimes I just get people and they don't even know where to start. And that's where I'm like, okay, let's run these tests and we can see a baseline and it's something tangible, like you said, and then we can move forward with a plan. Mm, Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I just appreciate how real you are because um, I think there's like some impression or image or thought out there that because someone's in like the wellness profession or like like a practitioner, like a professional, you know, works in the health industry that they have to be like this perfect model. Mm -hmm. And like, you're just, you're in your own journey. And so I appreciate that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's important for people to relate. So hopefully, totally. you know, it helps others. That's my whole goal mm-hmm. to reach and help as many people as I can. Do you offer like, um, online or like virtual consults? Um, I am going to start in 2020. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, this year. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, in the process, I'm in the process of getting all of that put together. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Because that, like, that has been my goal. And now doing functional medicine, it's like, I, I even tell my patients this, who come in to see me for acupuncture once a week. I'm like, the acupuncture is great, but for you to really transform your health and transform your life. of it is all on you. Acupuncture is just a supplement, you know, and it's powerful and it's effective, but it's not a hundred percent. It's just a tool. And so I feel like by educating my patients and partnering with my patients and getting them on a very clear path, then there's just so much more healing that can occur versus just popping needles in somebody. Right, right. Um, well, awesome. I can't wait to share your, um, your link and your information for people who want to dig deeper. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how can people find you? I know you're online. Yeah. Um, I am online. I have, um, 
Phoenix Rising Acupuncture is my clinic. So on Instagram, it's at Phoenix Rising ACU. And then I share more of my personal stuff where I'm a little bit more vulnerable um, on at early rising and it's E-A-R-L-E-Y rising. And then, you know, I have my website, phoenixrisingaccu.com. And as soon as I get everything up and running to where I'm working more online, then I can send that over to you. Oh, awesome. Yeah, for sure. Yay. Well, thank you so much, Lori, for joining us. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, everybody who's listening, please follow Lori. And um, if you like this episode, share it with people who you think can definitely resonate. And um, thank you so much, Lori. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Join our free private Facebook group community, Sacred Emergence, to receive more connection, guidance, and support. And take part in our five-day inner confidence challenge to not only boost your confidence, but to help activate your inner leadership. Details in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Emergence podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And thank you in advance for sharing this with others who can benefit. Until next time.